Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. You think one time is enough? You think if God says one time we need to do something that we should listen and obey? He is the Lord of the universe, you know. He is the creator of all things. He is the sovereign potentate, the king of those reigning and the lord of those lording. I don't think you need to say it but once. And we as his people should listen and obey. When he says something more than once, when he repeats something over and over again, then surely we as His people must listen to what He says and take heed. Well, today we're going to look at one of those subjects that our Lord repeats over and over again in Scripture. There is absolutely no excuse for us not remembering what He has said, There's absolutely no excuse for us not heeding and obeying what he says. Today we are going to study one of those subjects which is the due penalty of false teachers. And their due penalty is to experience the holy wrath of God in his day of judgment. Look over in Jude chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 14 through 16 this morning. And we're going to see three things about the judgment of God on false teachers. First, we will see that it is stressed by God. Next, it was prophesied by Enoch. And thirdly, It is executed by the Lord Jesus Himself. Stand in respect for the Word of God as I read beginning in verse 14. It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment upon all, and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. You may be seated. There are two things that God clearly wants us to remember as we look at His Word, because He repeats them over and over again. First, the three characteristics of false teachers, you will remember. They disbelieve God's Word. They either outright reject it, or they so twist the meaning of it and misinterpret it till it says what they want it to say. Secondly, you remember they reject God's delegated authorities. They become an authority 
unto themselves. And then thirdly, they indulge their fleshly desires. They live in an undisciplined, selfish uh, way. And then the second thing he wants us to realize is he will judge them with his holy wrath. You look at some of these false teachers and you see them driving their $100,000 cars and living in their million-dollar mansions and wearing their $1,000 suits, and you think, man, they seem to be getting by with everything. They seem to be prospering tremendously. But God wants us to realize that may be what it appears today, but their day of reckoning, their day of judgment is coming. In this one book itself, we see this pattern repeated at least three times. First, we have the characteristics of God's judgment, of, of, these, character, of these false prophets. Look in verse 4. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. There's our three characteristics. Then God describes their judgment in verses 5 through 7. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality, and went after strange flesh, are exhibited, as an example and undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So God said, these are their characteristics, and this is a judgment that awaits them. Don't think, I didn't bypass Israel when they did not believe me. I judged them. I did not bypass Sodom and Gomorrah when they indulged their fleshly desires. I judged them. I did not bypass the angels who rejected their abode and rejected my authority. I judged them, and so I would judge the false prophets that do the same thing. Again, in verse 8 through 10, he describes the false prophets. Yet in the same way, these men, also by dreaming, defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. And then we see the judgment in verse 11. Woe to them. Again, that word of judgment. For they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And then we saw last week their description again in verses 12 and 13. These are men who are hidden reefs in your love feast, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild ways of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam. Wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. And then we see the judgment that God is going to place upon them in our passage today. Verses 14 through 16. And so what God wants us to see first of all is that He stresses over 
and over again that he is going to judge these false teachers. They are not getting by with their apostasy. They are not getting by with their heresies. They are not getting by with their deceptions. But God is going to judge them. We must remember that. This judgment is not only stressed by God, but it was prophesied by Enoch. Verse 14. It was also about these men, the false teachers, that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of His holy ones. Now, who was Enoch? He was the first prophet that we have mentioned in Scripture. He was a descendant of Adam. In fact, he was the seventh generation from Adam. And it was he that he came from the godly line of Seth, which was one of Adam's sons. He was a unique man because he never saw death. God took him to heaven without him having to die. Now, you read about him in Genesis. It says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, that might leave you wondering, well, that doesn't say he didn't die, preacher. So why do you say he didn't die? Well, the right of Hebrews helps us out. And he tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, we see clearly there, that by faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before he had been taken up, he was pleasing to God. And so here we have a man, Enoch, descendant of Adam through Seth, the godly line, not Cain, the ungodly line. And God because of his faith, was pleased with him, and God took him up into heaven. And he didn't have to die. That's so the one other person that got to go to heaven without dying. You remember who that was? Elijah. You remember? The prophet Elijah, the fire chariot, came and picked him up and took him into heaven. And so here we have two men, both prophets, who were taken into heaven and did not have to die. And look at Enoch. Now, he was the first prophet we have mentioned in Scripture. Now, what message do you think God had his first prophet proclaim? What was the first announcement? And the prophet was God's spokesman. What was God's word through the first prophet that we have mentioned in Scripture? It was a word of warning. A word of warning to all false teachers and all unbelievers. He prophesied about the judgment of God. You see, even before the flood, God was giving and warning people of His judgment that would fall on all who reject Him. God's first prophet was a prophet of warning. Now, how did Jude know this? Not the passage I quoted in Genesis, nor the passage I read in Hebrews says anything about Enoch prophesying 
this judgment that God was going to send. So how did the writer of Hebrews know this? Excuse me, how did Jude know this? God revealed it to him. That's the only way he would have known it, because it's not written in Scripture anywhere else. Just like God revealed to Moses about creation. How did Moses know about the creation of the world in six days? He wouldn't have known. He wasn't there. God told him. God revealed it to him. As men were moved along by the Holy Spirit, so they wrote the Scriptures. And so God gave Jude this revelation about Enoch's prophesying, and therefore he includes it in his Scripture. God revealed it directly to him. So here we have the judgment of God on false teachers stressed by God over and over again, prophesied by Enoch, his first prophet. Now, I think God's telling us this is a serious matter, don't you? I mean, if God had his first prophet preach the message of judgment on unbelieving people who reject Christ, I think we need to take note. Now, we're going to see, thirdly, that this judgment of God is executed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14. Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of His holy ones. Behold the Lord, the Lord Jesus. First, I want you to see it is a personal judgment. Jesus Himself will come and judge the false teachers. He will not send a plague to do it. He will not send a flood to judge them. He will not send His angels to judge them. But Jesus Christ Himself will come and personally judge those false teachers. When He comes, He will come with such terror that the hearts of unbelievers will cry out and beg that the rocks will fall upon them and hide them from the wrath of Almighty God. Imagine the fear and the terror that will be in their hearts when they beg for the rocks to fall on them, to cover them and hide them from the fierce wrath of God Almighty. Over in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, John speaks about this when he says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. Now why do you think heaven and earth fled away from the face of Jesus the judge? You ever felt guilt? You know when you've done something wrong and you know you've done something wrong and you get confronted about it? You know how the guilt you feel? You just want to go hide somewhere? You just want to get away? Imagine in the face of pure holiness to sense the guilt and condemnation of your sin before the righteous judge. Heaven and earth wanted to flee, to get away from it. But there was no place 
found for them. In other words, they're not going to be able to hide from the righteous judge. Though they would desire to do so, so greatly. There will be no escape. Jesus came the first time as a meek and mild Savior. But when He returns, He shall come as a righteous judge that will bring the full fury of His holy wrath on all those who have rejected Him. And Jesus will not come alone, but He will come with His saints and His angels. Jude says, But behold, the Lord came with many thousands of His holy ones. Now I believe holy ones not only refers to the saints who have died and gone up to heaven, that we will descend with Him when He comes, but also His fiery warrior angels. And He will come and descend and will bring judgment. So it is a personal judgment. Jesus will judge. Secondly, it is a certain judgment. I want you to look at one particular word. It's the word came. It says, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of His holy ones. Now, came is past tense. It means something's already happened. But this hadn't happened yet. It's still in the future. So why does Jude use the past tense for something that's in the future. Well, we've seen this before in the Scriptures. That when God wants to stress the certainty of an event, that it is absolutely going to happen and nothing can keep it from happening, He will sometimes use the past tense to speak of a future event. That's how certain it is. You remember we saw in Romans 8, where it says, Those whom He predestined, He called. Those whom He called, He justified. Those whom He justified, He glorified. Past tense. Although our future glorification won't come until our bodies are resurrected from the grave. But it was so certain, God could speak of it as already taking place. And that's what we see with this judgment. It is so certain that God is going to judge the false teachers that Jude can speak of it in the past tense. God is saying the judgment day is certain. Men may ignore its coming. Men may mock at the idea of a judgment. They may say that's so archaic, that is so barbaric. But you can be certain that God has fixed a day on His calendar. And He has circled that day. And that day will be the judgment day on all those who reject Christ. And it will take place nothing on earth or beneath the earth or in heaven can keep that day from taking place. Paul warned those at Mars Hill in Athens about that judgment in Acts 17 when he said, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere 
should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed having for having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Paul said, God's fixed a day and therefore you better repent because you will not escape this day of judgment. It is a certain day. It is a personal day. Thirdly, it is a universal judgment. Look in verse 15. To execute judgment upon all. Now the emphasis that Jude has is false teachers. But that's not all that will experience this judgment. It includes everyone of every age, of every time period, who has rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you have rejected Christ, you've never come to Christ and placed your trust and faith in Him as your personal Lord and Savior, then this judgment is one you're going to experience. Don't look and think, well, those false prophets, boy, they're going to catch it. No, you are going to catch it. It is a universal judgment. Look at how many times he uses all in verse 15. To execute judgment upon all. And to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. It is a universal judgment that will come upon everyone of every time period who has rejected God's way of salvation through Jesus Christ. Revelation tells us in chapter 20, verse 12, that everyone will stand there who has rejected Christ. And I saw the dead, the great, and the small standing before the throne. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books according to their deeds. Now I want you to see the phrase, and I saw the dead, the great and the small. Now what does it mean by that, the great and the small? Here John is picturing the great white throne of judgment. And he sees the great and the small. Well, he means he sees those people that history calls the great people of history. Those that we have all heard about. Hitler, Napoleon, Mussolini, the Caesars of Rome, all the great people uh, the Gaddafi, uh, Saddam Hussein, Bin Laden, all of those that we consider great, they're going to be there. But also the small, the insignificant, the ones that we never heard of, we never know. And I think God says that for this reason. You might think, well, you know, I can understand why Hitler's going to be there. I mean, you know, look at what he did. But I'm so insignificant, I'll get by. God won't notice me. Oh, no. The great and the small. Everyone, every single individual that rejected God's grace and refused to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, 
as their Lord and Savior, will be there on that judgment day. It is a universal judgment. Not only that, but it will be a just judgment as well. Notice how many times in verse 15 he uses the word ungodly. To execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. It's going to be a just judgment. You see the word convict? To convict? That word means to convince. It means to show someone so clearly that they come to recognize the truth of what you've said. Now sometimes, particularly our kids sometimes, they do wrong and we call them on the carpet, but they won't admit, no, no, I didn't do that, that wasn't wrong. You know, we try to reject, we, and people, adults do the same thing sometimes, right? But this word says God's going to show it so clearly that they're going to admit it, yeah, that's right, I have done it. And I think Revelation chapter 20 verse 12 gives us the mode. It talks about the books. There are three books, at least three books, mentioned in Revelation 20, verse 12. He says, I saw books were opened, and another book was opened. So books, at least two. Another book, at least three. Now, what are the three books? Well, I think first it's going to be the book of God's perfect law. God's perfect holiness. Here, we have the standard, God's righteous holiness. The second book that's going to be opened is the book of the deeds of your life. Everything that you have done, everything you have said, everything you have thought will be opened and revealed. And when your deeds are measured against the perfect righteousness and holiness of God, you will say, I deserve nothing but hell. This is a just judgment. So it will be just. No one, no one will be judged and condemned who does not absolutely deserve it 100%. It is a just judgment of a holy God against sinful men and women. None will question God's judgment on that day. They will even fall before His holiness and acknowledge, I deserve everything that I get. Then Jude narrows his scope back to the false teachers in verse 16. When it says they are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lust, they speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining as advantage. They are grumblers, they they murmur, they grumble, they have an attitude of discontent with God's dealing in their lives, they resist the authorities He's placed in their lives, they always find in fault their complainers, they are loud grumblers, never satisfied. 
They don't believe God's word. They don't believe God's working all things out together for good. And they grumble. They follow after their own lust again, indulging their fleshly desires. They speak arrogantly. They flatter people, saying what people want to hear just to gain an advantage. And so it will be an absolute just judgment. So God is saying that He will pour forth His judgment not only on false teachers, but all unbelievers, all who have rejected Christ. He stresses it over and over again in His Word. I think we need to pay attention. He prophesied it through Enoch, the first prophet. Scripture even mentions God was talking about it from the days of Adam. And it's going to be executed by the Lord Jesus. But there's one other truth I want to share with you before we leave. It, this judgment has been experienced by Jesus for all believers. Hallelujah. This is the great news. The judgment is certain. The judgment is just. The judgment is coming. But you don't have to be under that judgment. That's the good news. Though you deserve that judgment, though you are helpless to do anything to escape that judgment, the great news is that God has done everything to enable you to not have to undergo that judgment. He has provided the way of escape. Jesus tells us about this in John chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus speaking says, truly, truly, now pay attention, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Now look at these words. And does not come into, what? Judgment but has passed out of death into life. Jesus says, those who hear my word, who hear his call, and they believe in him who sent him, they believe in God's plan of salvation, which is through Jesus. They believe that God has provided everything, everything necessary for their salvation through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, those who believe that have eternal life and they will not experience judgment. How much clearer can God say it? How can God remove His holy wrath from me and you who deserve it Simply because we placed our faith in Jesus. How can He do that and still be just? He's just because He takes my sin and He places it on a substitute. On one who takes my place. On one who receives the judgment of God. For me, the Lord Jesus. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also died for sins 
once for all. His death was the final, absolute, sufficient payment, punishment for the sins of all his people, for the sins of the elect. The just, that's him. For the unjust, that's me. That we might be brought near to God. God says, I'm going to place the judgment that you deserve on my own son. Jesus experienced hell on the cross. He experienced that righteous judgment of a holy God over my sins and your sins if you will place your faith in Him on that cross. And therefore, I don't have to see judgment now. Jesus has been judged for me. It would be double jeopardy for God to judge me because Jesus has already experienced my judgment. Another way that Paul says it is in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made Him, He, God the Father, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, sinless, to be sin. Why? On my behalf. On our behalf. That what? That we might receive the righteousness of God in Him. The sinless Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, took the sinless Lord Jesus Christ and made Him, take my, made him become sin, take my sin upon Himself, my guilt, my condemnation, my judgment upon Himself so that I can have His righteousness. He takes my sin and gives me His perfect righteousness. Now that's a win situation. And therefore, I do not have to experience God's judgment. Jesus did it for me. He totally satisfied God's wrath. Therefore, as Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, there's a judgment day coming. It is certain. It is going to be on everyone who has rejected Christ, everyone who has died in their sins. But Jesus... And we all deserve it. And in a sense, we all are going to be judged. But Jesus took my judgment upon Himself. And so when God opens up that book, it says three books, right? The book of deeds, the book of God's holy law. What's that third book? The Lamb's book of life. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Turn through those pages. There he is. Arthur Talmadge Stewart III. That's me. Now you know what AT stands for, right? I'm going to be in that book. And when he opens up my deeds, you know what he's going to see? Nothing but the righteousness of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's his gift to me. Because of Jesus. And by His grace, He chose me before the world was ever created to be a recipient of that grace. Hallelujah. And therefore, I have come out of death into life. Have you come out of death into life? 
Have you called on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you surrendered to Him as Lord and placed your trust in Him as your Savior? If not, today is the day. Jesus said, all those who hear my voice, have you heard His voice? Has He spoken this truth into your life? If He has, you step out today. Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our internet. And I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, This is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our Minister of Community Connections. Uh, And to my left is Mark Baker, who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcomed at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications and ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org.